I was twenty when it happened. It was a dark autumn night on the banks of the River Elbe, the coal fires of Hamburg's stolid and crumbling tenements adding their chemical tang to the evening's damp mist. I'd been handed my match ticket as we left Feldstrasse U-Bahn station and then headed up the stairs in a one-way throng. Everyone around me was singing, stamping and letting fall emptied cans of Holston. They rattled percussively on the walkways. Through the turnstiles with a creak, mumbled thanks, a drop of fag ash and half a ripped ticket pushed back. Then up the dozen steps and into the Nordkurve, just as Hans Alba's Auf der Reeperbahn started to splutter and crackle through the megaphone speakers fixed to the overhanging roof of the main stand and the stanchions. Smoke and steam rose from the crowd, thousands of shining eyes turning towards the dew-speckled field as kickoff grew near. Someone brought me a bratwurst with a ripple of sweet mustard along its glistening top edge and a foaming beer in a plastic glass. Just then, the teams ran out, a roar went up, a floodlight failed and everybody laughed. I laughed too, so loud I almost spat out some sausage. So this is football, I thought. And everything changed. That was an extract from the brand new, wonderful book, Square Peg Round Ball, Football, TV and Me, by Ned Bolting. Published by Bloomsbury, priced at $14.99, and available from the When Saturday Comes shop and other booksellers. Welcome to When Saturday Comes, the half-decent podcast that strikes the ball through a forest of legs and beyond a hapless goalkeeper. I'm Daniel Gray, and joining me are When Saturday Comes magazine editor Andy Lyons and writer Harry Pearson. This is an online recording given current restrictions, but hopefully it isn't too far away from the usual quality. Thanks to those who have joined the When Saturday Comes Supporters Club on Patreon so far. If you haven't but have a couple of quid to spare to do so, please have a look at patreon.com slash when Saturday comes. Harry, it's good to be back in the virtual podcast booth. Which confectionery, if any, have you got for us this time? Well, that, well, I've been to Waitrose today, and the, the best way to get cheap chocolate at this time of year is the is the discounted Easter eggs. So mm. I got a box, which was an Easter egg hunt box, eighteen pretty much goose size Easter eggs for twenty five p. Which you know, in Waitrose, a shop that you know where its slogan is reassuringly expensive. I think that's a, the bargain of the century. Did you hide them for yourself in the garden? Well, yeah, at risk of an old joke with the way my memory is these days, it would have taken me some while <laughs> to recover them all. That's quite a bargain, isn't it? it it's, a, it's an amazing bargain. I say I've got 18 of them. So, But the good thing is that they're very versatile eggs, aren't they? So I'll probably, I'll probably scramble some, uh, make an omelette. Yes, good source of protein. That's right, make a, make a little souffle maybe. Andy, any new lockdown developments for you? Is Neville Southall still standing guard? Uh, yes, well, I've tried a bit of feng shui with Neville, and I've now, I'm um, a little Neville Corinthian figure, I've now got him facing the window, looking out into the world. Previously, he's looking in, in my spare room. I thought that might might help in some way, I'm not sure. Might bring better luck or something. I'm not, you know, it's worth a try, I think. I've also noticed that one of my neighbours in one of the flats below has got, now got two model <laughs> birds of prey um, attached to their balcony to deter pigeons. One's an owl and one's something else. This is a regular problem of like a flat. We've got these London geezer pigeons, like Terry Herlock and Pigeon Fall. So I, I knew someone else who tried this once in another block of flats with a metal owl, but the pigeons just treated it with contempt. They just crapped all over it. But I'm going to mon- I'm going to monitor this pigeon thing now and maybe stand up there with a clipboard noting the frequency that the pigeons land on this balcony. And if, you know, if it works, then maybe I might invest in one myself. I presume you can get them in um, Asda or somewhere, you know. Have you started talking to Neville Southall yet? Um, not yet, no. Given my pigeon obsession, I think it's probably the next thing that's coming, though, unfortunately. 
Um, I've also been trying out various different sorts of food, you know, uh, on my early morning tracks to the supermarket, like uh, Tesco vegan pizza, which unfortunately I can't really recommend. I nearly bought some pineapple flavored Jaffa cakes today, but I put that off and I think you have to have something to look forward to, you know. But I also bought a malt loaf, which is something I haven't had since childhood. And if I'm, if I'm lapsing back to childhood with food, I suppose eventually <laughs> it would be rusks. And what about you, Harry? Any further hair developments? Yeah, I did with with hair. I I, I finally I find I've been looking at the uh, at the hair clippers that I bought. You know, sort of fearing doing anything with them, but I did actually get them out the other day, and I gave myself a number three all over. And actually, quite you know, it's actually quite neat and tidy. So I've, I've gone from looking like Bob Holness to looking like the Foreign Legion's crappers recruit. Uh, better than Steve Harrison, who used to leave a number two all over the place, of course. Well, that, well very good. <laughs> it's been a while. It's good for him. To, it's good for his. It's good for his party piece to make another appearance in the podcast. He could probably drop his party piece into the podcast from the top of a wardrobe. In fact, he'll have a lot of time on his hands at the moment. So, uh... well, as long as that's all he's got on his hands. Harry, you posted an amazing, or someone posted to you an amazing haircutting contraption from the nineteen seventies on Twitter, which I enjoyed. Yeah, that was uh, that was the. Uh, I think it's a. It's either Ronco or KTL. And it was this comb. It was basically a comb with a razor blade in it, and um, <laughs> and I think it's I think Billy Connolly did a routine about it because there was one you used to be able to buy in the uh, in the Daily Express, and as Billy Connolly said, you would never use it unless you were really drunk, <laughs> which of course would be the one time when you shouldn't be using it. But I also found that Ronco had also made to make up for this the the, the disaster that would undoubtedly occur if you used their home hair cutting device there was also some hair in a can as well that they that they produced which sprayed on to bald spots well funnily, funnily enough i have given that i'm now starting to look like a mad scientist i have thought about possibly wearing a bald wig because i think it would actually look tidier than how i look now except what if hair started growing on top of your bald wig what then you just brought to mind <laughs> madcap goalkeeper fred barber of peterborough united fame who used to wear a wig a bit like that he did, didn't he? Oh yeah, he, used to, he wore a sort of horror, like a, a horror mask, didn't he? I think. Yeah, did he not? Did he not get booked as well once for doing it? Wasn't wasn't there? I thought I thought he might have been shown a yellow card for something like that. And then there was a bit of a there was that whole kind of thing of oh, it's a sense of humour failure. You can't do anything now. There's not the characters in the game anymore. Yeah, it sounds like the kind of zany adventure that might have befallen him. Well, as ever, I've been enjoying the letters page in the new edition of When Saturday Comes. I liked the pithy letter from John Middleton in London asking. Do any readers know of a ground that doesn't have a special atmosphere under the lights? Tremendous. Yeah. I do love a, a short letter. Uh, Andy, any answers to that one? And which letters did you enjoy in particular? Uh, yeah, we have had a couple of answers to the floodlight one because you'll have to read WSC 399 to, to find out what those were. Um, another letter I enjoyed was someone whose mother had always lived in Preston but has never been to um, Deepdale because once when she was a teenager, she was carol singing. And they went around to Tom Finney's house and Tom Finney gave them one tangerine between all of them. And she's remembered this is like 60 years ago. That stuck in her mind. So quite understandably, she's been disinclined to, to ever go and see press and see, thought it was quite insulting. Maybe also, of course, tangerine colour of Blackpool, maybe it was an ideal thing to give them, I don't know. But how do they even divide it up? I don't know. Can't imagine. And we also had a letter from someone who mentioned a goalkeeper who he claimed saw a game between Curzon Ashton and Bradford Park Avenue with a goalkeeper, Cameron Mason, made a point of touching the crossbar on both posts at the same time saying, I love you, I look forward to working with you. But Cameron Mason has since responded on Twitter to say that wasn't what he said. We tried. I hoped he might maybe write, send us a letter about it. But he hasn't. He hasn't expanded on what it was he did say. Apparently, that wasn't what he was misheard. Apparently, 
And Harry, any catch your eye? Well, I, I liked the um, I liked the one that mentioned the goalpost with the, the three <laughs> points to Wigan. Yes, um, which which was a classic cry of, of all school all, all school kids football in those days, wasn't it? Three points to Wigan when the ball sailed over the bar. We've had a letter about that as well, which also I suppose I shouldn't give away, pointing out that of course it'd only be two points for Wigan. Because in rugby yes, league, but, but I, it was only two I had a points bit of a, for it. I had a ruckus on Twitter about that because they someone's pointed out a similar thing. But I remember mm. that everyone did shout out three points. Oh yeah, no, not not that they wouldn't have shouted it, but that they were wrong to have shouted it. That was all. That's the thing. But it, yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the letter may not make it to the next issue. I don't know. We have we have had a letter making that point anyway. I was pleased with the Steve Bloomer letter as well. He played for Middlesbrough, and what I remembered is that um, in one of the histories of Middlesbrough, it says his first game. They lost 6-1 to An- uh, Anfield, and it says he, he endured a baptism of fire, yeah. which is about the only baptism you ever get in football, it seems to me. You never get you never get baptised in anything other than fire if you're a footballer. Harry, I was going to say that was just one of your Twitter spats in the last couple of weeks after you had to describe that you were being sarcastic to someone, which I enjoyed. <laughs> that was fu- Yes, that was funny. Yes, I, I said that, I said that Char- well, well, we might come to Charlie Aimer later on, but I said that Charlie Aimer was affectionately known as the vampire. And someone put, there was no affection about it, <laughs> which was good. <laughs> As if you could affectionately call someone the vampire. <laughs> it's just like, oh, that's what we called him. <laughs> we, call, we, called him uh, we called him the goat molester. It was affectionate. <laughs> Andy, firstly, it was some achievement to get issue 398 out there. And secondly, can you tell us about some of the contents? Yeah, well, we didn't know till quite late on that the printers were going to be able to carry on working. We thought they might be required to lock down. But um, we've all worked from home now for a year since we moved out of our office last spring. So in a way, it wasn't actually that different from how we'd usually do an issue. Um, so in terms of what's in the issue, um, we've got the a thing on the which has been quite a popular article, the Bartholomew football map of England and Wales, which is a map mm. produced in the 1970s, several editions in the 70s, a map with locations of football teams marked with a little graphic of the kits, plus a load of badges of league clubs and several often randomly chosen uh, non-league clubs. A lot of people, or a few people mentioned they've got it on their wall. It's certainly a, a work of art. Um, we've got a thing on the Hibs-Hearts merger of 1990. Uh, Hibs had floated on the stock market and it had been a disaster. And then Wallace Mercer, who's the owner of Hearts, tried to buy a controlling stake in Hibs um, with the idea that the team, I think, was going to be called Edinburgh United. It was it was uh, foiled by um, Hibs directors. Hibs majority shareholder at the time had agreed to sell up. But there was a huge um, outcry about it. And it was the last, I guess, of the attempted... Uh, the, the, in that era, late 80s, early 90s, there was a whole spate of attempted mergers, of course. There was um, Fulman QPR and Palace and Wimbledon and Robert Maxwell's attempt to create Thames Valley Royals out of Oxford and Reading. So that was the last of those. But in the way, it would have been the, sort of the, the biggest or the most you know, contentious of all of them in the way, I mean, the two Edinburgh clubs merging together. And um, we've also got this thing on um, uh, Mark Noble and the regularities which the call goes up as it has throughout his career for him to play for England. He's, he's, um, he's now, the article writer points out, over 100 players have made their England debuts since Mark Noble first played in the Premier League for West Ham. And Six England managers decided not to pick him, but constantly people say, is it not about the time he got a cap? But then again, various players who have been picked have had very brief moments, really, of kind of stardom. And Tom Huddleston, a few people have mentioned the article, Tom Huddleston, Jack Rodwell, 
Tom Cleverley, Danny Drinkwater have all got caps. So uh, you could sort of see the point that maybe Martin Edwards perhaps due one, at least. Um, and the, also we've, we've got what is now going to become a regular feature about football being suspended, looking at things like this month, the likely financial costs for clubs, and um, positive things that players and clubs have done in terms of helping the local communities. And also Cameron Carter on um, on how to cope without football, um, pointing out that uh, on the first day of the ban, the BBC replaced match of the day with the... Uh, what he calls the nonchalant cultural vandalism that misses that is Mrs. Brown's boys. Difficult to think of a more efficient way of alienating seven million people with one scheduling decision, which I think we can probably concur with. And Harry, what have you enjoyed reading in particular in issue three nine eight? Well, I liked that. I enjoyed the focus on Mirandina, who we or Mirandina, who we mentioned. I think we've we've mentioned him before on this show, friend of the podcast. Um, and I enjoyed that particularly because I'd forgotten actually that. The season after the summer after they signed Mirandina, uh, Newcastle signed Dave Besant and Andy Thorne from Wimbledon. Obviously, under the idea that they would just get the ball into the mixer for the little for the Brazilian <laughs> man to fight for. Um, so that was good to see. Good to see him again, and that he'd come back to open a Brazilian restaurant, which I'd forgotten as well. And what was your own column? My own column was about it was about um, a bit of sort of linked to the uh, to the lockdown, the, 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 the old days when they used to throw toilet rolls at football. Um, because now, of course, at that point, toilet rolls were in extremely short supply. And as, as I said, you know, sort of selling for vast quantities of money. But there was a time in the 70s, and it was that sort of thing where I think as you get older, you, you, you tend to more and more say whatever happened to when you're at a football match, whatever happened to the teleprinter, you say, and things like that, you know. So so it was really about that, whatever happened to the throwing of toilet rolls. Although someone on Twitter, I think Joe MH, who, who often gets in touch with us, sent me film of uh, York City in 2010 of fans, I think in a sort of retro sort of action, were throwing, were throwing toilet rolls then. Quite a lot, quite an impressive amount as well. So it's really about that. Hipster toilet paper. I think it probably was. <laughs> it, probably, it was probably recycled. And you, you hit upon that point in the column that when you ask those questions, where has that gone? You don't really want to be answered, do you? If someone factually answers you why something has gone absent. You, that's not the point. You want to go tail off into more things that have been yeah, you lost. Want, you, want to, you want people to just add to the list. If you say whatever happened to the teleprinter, or you want them to add that they always liked the bit when it's spelled out. If someone lost 8-0, how it would put the 8, and then after it in brackets, it would spell 8, just to make sure, just to you know, complete the humiliation. So, yeah, you want that kind of thing. Because I was watching one of my sort of, you know, sort of uh, missing football. I watched the 82 World Cup, and now I'm, I'm on to the 84 European Championship, which is really excellent. But, you know, listen, watching that, I thought, what, whatever happened to klaxons? That was the sound of continental football, the sound of those klaxons going off. And also the microphone tone of John Motson's doing the commentary, the fantastic game between France and Portugal, absolutely marvellous. But John Motson does a commentary and it's got that particular kind of crackly tone to it that always marked football that was being broadcast from overseas. I never worked out if in those occasions were commentators using an actual telephone because there are still ones now that you see on soccer saturday on sky sports where it sounds like some of the reporters are on actual telephones oh maybe they were i don't know what it what caused it but it always it always gave an extra sort of it gave an extra atmosphere to things i think that that sort of crackly down you know when brian jones even on the radio you know brian jones or someone you know who came down the line there's sort of crackly sound as if he was broadcasting from a war zone Peter Jones. Peter Jones and Brian Peter Potter. Peter Jones, sorry. And you, you fused them together. <laughs> I fused the two. 
and, and, and fuse the two and convert them into Rolling Stones troubled and indeed doomed late late sixties late sixties guitarist. Was, well, that was what because you've forgotten that Brian Jones did briefly when he left the Rolling Stones, he did briefly join the BBC as a football commentator. And uh, I think if you look that up, you'll find it often often accompanying himself on the zither. He could play any stringed instrument, apparently, <laughs> including the football net. You just pick it up and play it. <laughs> so these are very much football's white dog dirt things. Whatever happened to white dog dirt and all of that? This could be the making of your stand-up routine, Harry. Well, it could, yeah. It could just be my life, really. So, Andy, obviously most shops selling when Saturday comes are closed because of the lockdown. How can people go about getting a copy? Uh, well, people can buy the new issue direct from us. Um, it's postage free. Just go to wsc.co.uk. Or better still, subscribe. We've, we've got various options also on our website. Uh, subscribers also get access to our complete digital archive that goes back to uh, 1986. Um, and there's a photo of me uncredited in issue number five. So look out for that. And um, also you can get our 400th issue T-shirt designed by David Squires, a guardian cartoonist. Uh, for the 400th issue itself will hopefully uh, be out in midsummer. Right, I'm going to give the random topic generator a shove. Here we go. Bridlington Town, Club Car Parks, Dave Wagstaff, and it's landed on Player Brawls. How coincidental in the week Norman Hunter sadly died. Andy, on the subject of Norman Hunter, before we get into that, I hadn't realised that he played on for so many years with Bristol City and then Barnsley, where he only retired in 1982. He seems such a 60s figure to me. Yeah, well, although that, that Bristol City team, late 70s, had loads of players who were better known from other clubs. And Joe Royal played for them, Peter Cormack, I think Terry Cooper as well. Um, Norman Hunter played in all the Revi-era teams. Really, there were two or three distinct Leeds teams between when they came up in what, about 63 to when Revy left in 74. And he was with an overlap between them. And him, Billy Bremner, Johnny Giles, I think, were, the, were the pretty much the only ones who played in all those teams. Harry, he was one of those ex-Revy players who tried to become managers, and I noticed he, in fact, took over from Alan Clark, one of them, at Barnsley. Yeah, he did. I mean, I think a lot of those Leeds players seem to... They, they were all, but they always sort of bobbed around the sort of, mid, sort of mid-divisions, didn't they? I think with Norman Hunter, I actually I was, I sort of met him once on a TV show. So we were actually um, we were actually in makeup, and so that was when I met Norman Hunter. He was having his makeup put on, and when you do a TV show, that the, the makeup person always says to you um, when they're putting the makeup on, they say, "Is there a particular shade that you favour?" And so she asked Norman Hunter, "Is there a particular shade you go for?" And I was really hoping he was going to say, well, you know, have you got a sort of apricot blush or a sort of bruised <laughs> peach with something like that? But of course, he didn't. He, he just said, "Oh, just anything." But anyway, he was so that was yeah. So that was my encounter with him having his makeup put on. But yeah, so he, I mean, he's of course the the famous brawl that he was involved in was with uh, Francis Lee, which I think we all sort of remember. In which someone said that um, that Francis Lee actually knocked him down. But I did watch it the other day, and I think a, a boxing referee would have ruled it a slip. Although perhaps Francis Lee would argue with me about that. Francis Lee would be doing well at the moment out of toilet roll shortages, wouldn't he? He would, actually. I bet his, he bet his factory's on, it's, they're working 24 hours a day there, I imagine. What about some other prime brawls that you recall, Harry? Well, I was sort of thinking there were, there, was, there were the famous battles of, I mean, there's, I think, well, there's at least three of them, possibly four. 
There was the, the Battle of Highbury in 1934, which obviously I don't remember. Um, but which is funny because I watched it in that game. Um, Lewis Monty, Ted Drake broke his foot in the it's Italy, England against Italy, I should say, and and uh, Ted Drake broke Lewis Monty's foot in the first two minutes. Eddie Hapgood got a broken nose. Eric Brook got a broken arm. Um, and Stanley Matthews said it was the most violent match he ever played in. But when you watch it on the Pathé News, it doesn't mention any of that at all. <laughs> just, that, just that England emerged victorious. It doesn't say anything about it, which is good. And there was the, the Battle of Bern in 1954, which was uh, Hungary and Brazil, which was, uh, which was refereed by Arthur Ellis, who most of us would associate with three points to Wigan, I imagine. And so he was in charge of that. And that was a sort of, I think the Brazilian press were quite heavily involved in the fighting in that one. Um, the Battle of Santiago, which the, which has, the, there's a fantastic footage from that because that was on the BBC. And when well, it was on Match of the Day, David Coleman does this um, little chat before it in which he warns us about what we're about to see, the most disgusting football match ever played. Um, but then, then he's when he's actually commentating on it, he can't quite keep the delight out of his voice at seeing people fighting. There's a bit when he says, "That's the that's the one of the the neatest left hooks you'll ever see." He says at one point, and then then at one point in the game, two of the players, two of the Italian and Chilean players, are fighting on the sort of rolling about on the ground, and Ken Aston, who was the referee, he kind of pulls them apart like a like a primary school teacher pulling apart two fighting boys in the playground. Um, but the, the games that I particularly remember as being particularly sort of rough during my own sort of early years of following football were the uh, the Intercontin- Intercontinental Cup games. Um, there was a particular, I think, the, the '67 game between Celtic and Racing Club, which the, which went to a playoff, which was the Battle of Montevideo, in which I think f- three Celtic players were sent off, two Argentinians, but Bertie Old of Celtic was also sent off, but simply refused to leave the field, and the referee just gave up and left him on, <laughs> which which is particularly bad. Um, and I don't, there was the following year when Man United played Estudiantes, who were the the notorious Estudiantes, I should say. Um, that was pretty bad as well. And I'd assume that those games, it was something that went back to the sending off of Antonio Rattin in 1966. But then the following year in 69, when Estudiantes played Milan, that was one of the worst games ever. And in the game in Argentina, Milan's centre forward was a guy called Nesta Combin, who was Argentinian, and he seemed to get a particular kicking. Um, I think the, the Estudiantes keeper, Alberto Poletti, assaulted him broke his nose, broke his cheekbone. And to add insult to injury, as, as Combin was lying on the ground, unconscious, the Argentinian police came on the field and arrested him for draft dodging. <laughs> and then so, and then after that, well, the weird thing with that Estudiantes team was that it also included Carlos Bilardo. And there was another player in it as well. There was two actual medical doctors in that team. Probably quite useful, really. Um, yeah, and then, the, Carlos Bellardo was a gynecologist. So I, I don't he was he, a I thought he was. I thought he was a gynecologist. You certainly wouldn't want him coming near you with a speculum, would you? No. And that because also was Bellardo the one when they played Feyenoord? One of the Feyenoord players was it? Yuk van Dala wore glasses. And he took them off his nose just before the game started and trampled on them, saying, you're not allowed to wear glasses when you play football. Yeah, well, there's a record which unfortunately isn't currently on the 45football.com website called Who Broke the Glasses of Vandal, which was a hit in Holland. 
Um, in fact, <laughs> Van Dahl, I think I don't know if it's Van Dahl himself who recorded. He made two, released two singles to do with having his glasses broken. Anyway, one of them was a hit. I found my notes now, and it wasn't Carlos Bilardo who broke his glasses. It was Oscar Malbonat. We better make that clear in case Carlos Bilardo. Just in, in case Carlos <laughs> Bilardo doesn't want, he doesn't want his reputation sullied by that kind of thing. And the other, the other doctor in the team was Raúl Raúl Madero. So there was two doctors in the team. And Andy, brawls? Well, um, one thing, we mentioned Norman Hunter earlier and Francis Lee, and uh, there's a story about um, years later they were at a funeral of a, an ex-player together, and Francis Lee was in a row ahead of, a few rows ahead of Norman Hunter. And as people were filing out the church, front rows first, Francis Lee walked down the aisle past Norman Hunter. And as he got to Norman Hunter, was at the end of one row, he feigned as if to punch him. <laughs> Yes, mime's throwing a punch at him. So they're obviously able to laugh about it, you know, 20 years later. Um, I think what the thing I often think with brawls is very often really you get two or three separate things going on in a, in a typical sort of a, 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 whatever you want to call it, a Barney or a Stramash. In fact, is a Stramash a specifically Scottish thing? I don't know, this, you might know this, Dan. Can, um, some, uh, can something only be called a Stramash if there's one short ginger herd player involved? <laughs> I think that's the dictionary definition. If not, then it's, it has to be something else, like a set two or a bundle or something. Always drama, a melee. It's really impossible for a referee to decide who to send off. I mean, they always nearly always send off one player from either side, but loads of other players could go off as well to get involved, particularly the players who suddenly arrive sort of make a show of trying to calm things down, but in the process managed to get in a sly dig or two as well. The, the flying kung fu kick is a bit of a special from someone entering the fray, seems to be a bit of a South American thing, I think. And also that thing of a player running around a player running around the edge of the, the fighting area by having kicks aimed at him by several other people as he does a sort of circuit <laughs> of 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 this of, of the ring kind of thing. Um the most notorious or well, the the most in a way most famous brawl was one that led to 19 players being sent off, which is a Copa Libertadores game between Boca Juniors of Argentina, who were at home to sport in Crystal Pru 1971. Um, I don't know how the referee kept sending players off after it got past the point where the game would have to be abandoned anyway, but of the only players who weren't dismissed were the two goalkeepers and the Peruvian player, Julio Melendez, who was playing for Boca and presumably didn't want to get didn't want to get into a fight with his compatriots. But Boca did end up getting expelled from the tournament. And they were the home team in the in the game. And Sporting Crystal had several players suspended as a result of the fight. And they got knocked out soon afterwards as well because they had to field um, reserve teams in a couple of games. But that's the most notorious one of all. I can't imagine anyone is going to be able to, <clears throat> to, to match or beat having 19 players sent off. I do remember seeing that on, I think, on the Saint and Greavesy, was it called? Was the Saint and Greavesy region called Off the Ball or On the Ball, wasn't it? Yeah, there's the ITV highlight, the ITV Saturday morning show, it's a preview show, is called um, on, on the Ball. Yeah, on the ball. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they showed that on that, but you, you can't find, I can't find any footage of it anywhere. More's the pity. Yeah, unfortunately, there isn't a lot of South, there's what, what there is of South American kind of club footage in the 60s and 70s, black and white. And often not not very good quads. There isn't much of it around. I don't think. I don't think a, a lot of stuff wasn't televised at the time. I don't think. I think possibly the last great ball was the late nineteen eighties Man United Arsenal one. That's the last one that really. And I think that brought a points deduction as well, didn't it? It was so ferocious. It was more of a sort of shoving, though, wasn't? It? Was there a lot of shoving in it? Was it? That wasn't the one. When was the one when there was the pizza throwing? That was Man United and Arsenal as well. In the well, that tunnel. was a bit that, later. That was the later. Yeah, yeah the, the, the other one was was late. Was yeah, it was um. A, we did a, a cover on WSC about it. You pretended they were arguing about arguing about yeah. um, joining the European exchange rate or something. I think it was, it, it was 
<laughs> something like that. I can't remember. I should have it to hand, but I haven't got it. But yeah, no, the, the, the pizza throwing one was later on. I don't, no points got deducted for that, I don't think. There was a big controversy. <laughs> we were always trying to work out who threw the pizza. It was like, because Alex Ferguson was there. And of course, as we've discussed previously, he, he's, a, he's an expert on the Kennedy assassination. So he could probably have worked out who threw the pizza by measuring by measuring and angles and things like that and where it, where it deflected to. As could have Tony Gubber. <laughs> As indeed could Tony Gubber. Make sure you never miss an issue of When Saturday Comes by subscribing today. Not only will you have the magazine delivered to your door and save on the shop price, but you'll also receive discounts on books and T-shirts, plus get free access to our complete digital archive, which stretches all the way back to issue one in 1986. Go to shop wsc.co.uk for more information. It's time for the part of the podcast where we each choose a record from the wonderful website 45football.com. Andy, what have you chosen this time? Um, I've gone for the Dragon de Vinterslag Spalers op de Hand, um, which is the tune of We've Got the Whole World in Our Hands, uh, as used by Nottingham Forest and various other clubs. Uh, Vinterslag were one of the two clubs in uh, Henk, they eventually merged with their much bigger neighbours, Vortishai, and um, I'm not in favour of mergers, really, but I suppose this was a rare case of a successful one, and the merged club racing, Hank, have won the league since. Um, um, this is Vintage Likes Best Era. They played in the UEFA Cup the next year. This was 1980, this record played, and they knocked out Arsenal before losing to Dundee United. And their coach at the time, called Robert Vassage, um, was later coach of Belgium at Euro 2000. Um, chiefly remembered for the fact that when Belgium scored one of their goals at the tournament in the middle of celebrating he got out a comb and started combing his hair look out for that in the highlights he obviously knew the cameras would be on he just runs a comb through his hair as he's in the middle of celebrating anyway this is um, this is KFC as they're called Koenigs FC which means Royal FC I think uh, KFC Vinterslag I like on the sleeve it has a squad photo and on the back row is a player with a sweatband around his head which is one of those things you don't see anymore this is the white dog of the team photo Not, no no footballer wears one anymore it brings to mind Steve Foster I think is the name on the people maybe they've got that thing that Prince Andrew has where they don't sweat and Harry, what's your choice? Um, I've gone well celebrating. They're talking about the brawls and the the famous brawl with uh, with Sporting Crystal. I've gone for Boca Juniors. Uh, Muchachos, I've got to put my teeth back in, I can't say that. Um, I'm not even going to attempt to say it. Um, it's too difficult for me. Muchachos, yo soy de boca, which it sounds, it's a sort of tango tune. And it sounds like the, the, it sounds like the sort of thing that, that Mr. Adams in the Adams family would have danced with Morticia to. It's very, it's very dramatic for a football song. Mucha 
la ribera el que en todas partes vi su bandera de campeón con orgullo la paseó boca, dale boca con tu coraje indomable well, this time I've gone for Hartlepool, who I think are a new addition to the website, with Who Put Sugar in My Tea? Although there's no question mark in that on the sleeve. Hopefully you can hear them singing the question mark. And this was produced in 1972 to help Hartlepool somehow as they tried to stave off falling into non-league football, which they always seem to be doing, I think it's fair to say. A beauty from the land of Andy Cap which I think sounds a bit like the likely lads do football. Okay, it's time for some listener questions and Twitter remarks. This one's from Anthony Halliwell. Thanks to Anthony for the question. What are the funniest or strangest football chants you've heard and by which fans? Andy. Well, there's one that I have mentioned in the previous podcast. Everton fans used to chant about David Moyes. He's got red hair, but we don't care. And somebody did suggest changing it to he's strawberry blonde, but was still quite fond. But I don't know if anybody did actually chant that again. I'd like to think they would have done. Um, in terms of what I've heard, well, an odd football chant, an odd story about football chant is um, Nice One Cyril, which started out as a catchphrase, an advert for a bread, Wonderloaf bread in the early 70s. Cyril was supposed to be one of the um, bakers who made the bread. And at the end of the advert, the, the guy says, Nice One Cyril. And that became a chant by Spurs fans for Cyril Knowles, who was one of their players at the time. And then it became a hit single, but it was a hit single. It was a single release for a League Cup final, the kind of thing that, Hardly ever, it certainly didn't happen very often, but actually, two in two years because Blue is the Color, Chelsea song the previous year, which was also a big hit, was also a single released for the League Cup final. But later on, teams made songs for the FA Cup, but not for the League Cup. So that it was a very short lived tradition. But um, I can't honestly say I've heard other than um, other than the David Moyes one. I'm always, always slightly perplexed as to why certain tunes have, have remained um, popular over a long period of time and. Uh, pop songs from say the 60s are earlier than they're still being used now um i'm not sure i'm not sure what the tune to the song that starts um we hate nottingham forest is you know that one and lester that one don't know what the song is is it not land of hope and glory oh possibly actually yeah no you're right yeah that's it yeah that it's not it's not very well known i was thinking it was it was a pop song i you know i'm not i'm not a very patriotic i I just think in terms of the top 30 yeah i'm just interested in top of the pops really (laughs) that's it You were last night, you were listening, you was caught last night of the proms and went, that's weird, that's that, that's that we hate that's Nottingham yeah. Forest song with different yeah. words. Yeah. Well, they added those funny yeah. words to it. Why do they sing Anne Lester in the middle? <laughs> Land of hope and glory, Anne Lester. <laughs> and Harry, what about you? 
Well, I, I was at the, at the Darlington. I don't think they chant it anymore, but they used to, of course, chant Quaker aggro. And uh, you know, the, the Quakers being well known to be pacifists. And I, I went to a Quaker school, and I finished to think what Quaker aggro would involve. Probably a tutting at the rival firms for their for their choice of employing violence, while acknowledging in a slightly patronising manner that their choice was based uh, not on malice but on the basic lack of education. Let it all out, Harry. Let, let it all, all let out. Let it go there. And, uh, and then the other strange <laughs> chant, was, which went on for many years, was was the celery chant at, at Chelsea, um, which which then involved people waving celery. I'm not going to explain what the chant was. You can probably go, you're probably able to find it on the internet. Um, and in and 2007, Chelsea, Chelsea actually banned celery and they introduced a celery hotline so you could phone up if you saw someone carrying celery and report them. And Harry, any Twitter correspondence for us this oh, time? There's masses of it. I've got about four pages of it here. Um, first of all, I'd say that Andy mentioned uh, Glossop North End um, last time we were on the podcast. Oh, and yes, Mike I did. Bailey, yeah, I was trying to think. Yeah, you're right. I did. I forgot. And Mike, Mike Bailey shared a newspaper clipping from 1907, which was, was about a game at uh, Glossop North End. Leeds City played there on New Year's Day. And I think they lost 2-1. And then on the way back, the players found themselves locked in the train at Dinting Junction. And they were forced to, to free themselves and forage for food on New Year's Day. So he shared that. Um, your, um, your Dun- Dan, you, you chose the Dun- a Dunfermline song, mm. which, proved, which proved very popular with people. And um, the Blackwatch fanzine actually shared a video showing the Dunfermline squad singing the song on Pebble Mill at One. <laughs> How Dunfermline came to be on Pebble Mill at One, I just can't imagine. But anyway, there we are. It's all there. I wondered if they took the team bus down because they were all there. They were and all they were all in the tracksuits. It's all just remarkable that there was so much time to fill that they went what that one of the research one of the researchers at the at the programme meeting went, I'll tell you what, we could get Dunfermline to come and sing their song. And someone went, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> um, what else have we got? Oh, we got, oh Stuart McNeil uh, from Middlesbrough got in touch with the Tannoy announcements. We were talking about um, uh, bizarre Tannoy announcements. And he said at a away match at Birmingham in the late 70s, there was an announcement, uh, if Mr. Brown of Smallheath is in the ground, can he please return to his office as it is on fire? <laughs> Steve Educated Left Foot uh, was talking about, we were talking about players' careers after they left. And he said that we talked about Peter Bonetti, who also sadly died uh, this month, didn't he? Um, and Eddie McCready, who had unusual uh, post-playing careers. And he says that in that Chelsea team as well, John Dempsey left football to work in a care home for people with Down syndrome. So that that Chelsea team were not quite the perhaps the sort of cavalier bunch that we all we all thought. So that was quite moving. And then uh, Tristan Browning shared something with us from uh, Miles McLagan's uh, Twitter feed, which is a fantastic Twitter feed if you like old football. And if you don't like old football, I don't know why you're listening to this. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> and uh, it was tuned in by mistake. <laughs> that's right. They thought, oh, when Saturday comes, that'll probably be that'll be about Beyonce and Jay Z, or, or the terrible, <laughs> the terrible film starring Sean Bean. <laughs> that's that's what they're hoping. A whole podcast devoted to that. Imagine how do they get an hour out of it? They're saying. Um, so anyway, so he, he Tristan shared this thing because it was about um, the ex borough chairman or the, or the borough chairman at the time, Charlie. Charlie Aimer, Charlie the Vampire Aimer, affectionately known as. And he'd written a piece in the Borough programme before a game against Man United uh, denouncing hooligans. 
um, which is law and order is going out of the window, I think is one of its opening lines. But the, 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 the really great paragraph in it is, the answer to vicious people is the same as you would give to a savage dog or wall-eyed horse. <laughs> and that is the return of the strap, the cane and the birch. Why would you take a birch to a wall-eyed horse? I have no idea. I'm not an expert on horses. Maybe a jockey will tweet in. Um, so that was a fantastic effort from Charlie Aimer, who would probably a bit before your time, Dan, I suspect, but a, a sort of a malign figure of my youth. And I remember one of the first things I wrote for When Saturday Comes was a piece about John Higton, the Middlesbrough centre forward, who's my great idol when I was a boy, and you know, many, many boys of Teesside, I would imagine. Um, and in it, I said that he scored, that Middlesbrough played Man United in a, in a sixth round of the FA Cup at Ayrson Park. And I think Borough took the lead through Hickton. And then uh, Man United equalised. And my grandfather was convinced, of course, that Middlesbrough deliberately set up a draw so that they would get the money from the replay. And I mentioned this in the article. Then a, uh, someone, I think Jeff Vickers from Middlesbrough Supporters South, sent the article to John Hickton. And John Hickton wrote a letter back, which Jeff then sent to me, in which he said, oh, I really laughed about that because everyone used to say that to me. <laughs> oh, Charlie Aimer's just got you. Charlie Aimer got you to concede that goal because he wanted the money from the replay. But even the players heard it. It was extraordinary. So, yeah, so he was a sort of one of those old school um, sort of local chairman, you know, who'd made his money. He'd sort of, you know, he'd made his, his he'd sort of come up the hard way from Grangetown in Teesside and... Uh, and he was he was a saxophonist, and he had a he was a band leader. And it fantastically, his first business was in Stockton, the Palais des Danses in Stockton. You can picture the scene, can't you? <laughs> Towards the end of his life, he lived to be a hundred. I mean, he left Middlesbrough in eighty two, I think, after various um, allegations of shenanigans, which we we won't go into. Um, but then he wrote he wrote an autobiography. And in it, one of the it contains many fine sort of pooterish kind of moments. And one is when North Korea were were over for the '66 World Cup. He invited the squad to his uh, palatial home of Normanby Hall, and after giving them afternoon tea, he presented each of the the North Korean players with a Churchill crown. Um, now I've just looked that up on eBay, and you can now buy a Churchill crown on eBay for 99p plus 98p postage. <laughs> So that, that marks the generosity of the man right there, I think. Um, Andy, have you spotted anything of note since your great Twitter comeback? Yes, well, I've, I've done, uh, this isn't a great thing, actually. I've done one tweet and had no response to it. But to be honest, it was just something I recycled from my Facebook page where it did get a response. So I don't feel like a complete failure. I might have a go at one more tweet, maybe before the end of the month. I'm not sure. See how I feel. Um, on Twitter, the main thing I noticed this month is there's a, a great um, um, Twitter page called FA Cup Fact File. And they did a thing recently, a, a Twitter knockout of FA Cup teams with unusual names. We have rounds of four teams get voted through um, to the next round and so on. Now, the eventual winners were um, Crouch End Vampires. The other finalists being um, <laughs> North Lindsay Midgets, o Osburton Radiator and Scarborough Penguins. Um, Crouch End Vampires still exist. They're a club and they play in the Amateur Football Alliance. They're not part of the FA anymore, but they used to play in the FA Cup in the um, early 1900s. Um, there are some other fantastic names mentioned um, in this kind of knockout feature. There was um, Shredded Wheat FC. Um, I looked them up. Um, they played in the FA Cup between 1931 and 37, based in Welling Garden City, the HQ of, uh, of Shredded Wheat. Um, the pitch was behind the factory. They won one game in the Cup against a team called Bedwins in 1935. Bedwins presumably had a long way to travel. 
Um, so I hope they were given at least given some shredded wheat to take home with them. There was also um, Savoy Hotel, who played one season, 1924-25. They lost 4-0 at Aylesbury United in the extra preliminary round. And their centre-forward, apparently, it was called W.A. Morris, had his leg broken. A bit of a sad end to that story. Presumably this is a, a staff 11, not residents of the Savoy Hotel. They didn't have like a an elderly colonel at wing half or whatever. Um, there's also another a, a, a great story behind this a team, a team called Metal and Produce Recovery Depot who played three seasons in the FA Cup from 1946 onwards. And they were things set up during the war to, to recycle planes that had landed, that had crashed in Britain. And they, they got turned back into more planes, basically. So you'd think they would have done club badges with this. They're recycling metal. They don't seem to have done. Um, the club became was taken over by Morris. It was based in Cowley in Oxfordshire, taken over by Morris Car Company. Became the, the team carried on as Morris Motors FC for quite a long time. And um, there's also a team called, another great name, West Hartlepool Expansion, which sounds like a big <laughs> band, like one of those 1970s variety show bands with loads of TV and the middle-aged guys in flared suits doing a You Are the Sunshine of My Life, you know. And they played from 1909 to 1914. And um, also um, there were two teams called Cake and Oil, um, British Oil and Cake Mills and Selby Olympia Cake and Oil. And cake here obviously doesn't mean cake, does it? It means, is it, does it, is it a fertilizer or something? It's some kind of industrial process, anyway. Not not cake as as you and I would uh, would recognise it. I, don't, I think it's cattle cake uh, is a maybe. kind of thing that cattle lick to to get to get salt or something. Maybe that's what I it think. is. Yeah, <laughs> I've got some vague ideas. Cattle yeah. cake. You'll get that job on farming today. Yeah, I really. will do. That's right. I have my knowledge of those kind of things. I've lived in the countryside all my life. You've been listening to the When Saturday Comes podcast, produced and edited by me, Daniel Gray. Please have a think about supporting us on patreon.com slash when Saturday comes, which will give you access to bonus podcast material and other goodies. And please do join me, Andy and Harry again next time for more vital, topical and half-decent chatter. Hey, what do you think you're playing at? Come here. Please give us a few stars and a good review on the Apple podcast app or elsewhere, for instance, in graffiti on a bridge over the M23. Okay. I'll leave it up to you, and we'll settle up later. Will you be needing anything else, love? No, with this lot and a bit of luck, we'll be fine.